1: Um, okay, we are going to be talking about some serious shit today. Legislation! Uh, yeah, getting into some law. Criminal code law. Uh, we are joined by our old friend and past guest, uh, Mark Hennick. Um, Mark, uh, you, you know, since we, since we joined the CBC, I'm sure we've had a bunch of new... Listeners, maybe they haven't heard your past episode. If you are one of those people, get your life in order and go listen to it uh, because it's great. However, uh, for those who might not be aware of who you are and the work that you do, why don't you give yourself a little shameless plug intro and uh, let the people know. Why we brought Let you here. Let the people know.
2: Well, I think the most important thing,
0: although I may be your old friend, I'm not that old. I'm yeah. still <laughs> you, I was going to say, I actually was thinking the same thing. I was like, Mark's not that old. Mark's Our old ass friend. <laughs> <laughs> Our so old I'm friend a, um, that we've known for like, we've known him for a week or two. He's an old friend. <laughs> yeah, He's yeah, 75. I don't even know you guys. Where are you people? Where am I? <laughs> um, I'm a mental health advocate and
2: strategist. Uh, my new book is So Called Normal, a memoir of family, depression, and resilience. And I've been talking about mental health and mental illness my whole life. I think it's mostly because I have no other transferable skills. This is all I know how to do. So I stay in my lane, but uh, I've really been able to carve out a niche for myself in talking about uh, all things mental health related.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. It we, is
2: a lane that you are very familiar with.
1: Yeah.
3: And we had a, we had a great uh, conversation with you um, initially. Um, I mean, what was that now? T- three, three years ago, maybe Probably three years, maybe yeah. even yeah, possibly even longer time. than that about, um about your your struggles with mental health and and sort of like and the the the, the story of like overcoming and managing and um Mm -hmm. uh the stories around that and it was uh and it was it it really again for all the listeners out there who uh who maybe haven't heard that episode go back and take a listen because it really was um hence why we have continued and and with your work when um with advocacy why we've continued to have you back on the show because it really was a standout conversation.
1: Yeah. Which brings us to today. So we are going to be talking about uh, MAID. In particular, we're going to be talking about the implications of Bill C-7 on people with mental illness. And so I I, I think, Mark, uh, let me, can I just, if you don't mind, I'd like to start this entire thing off by, um, before we got into this today, uh, we took some time to go through uh, the overview of, of the Um, the, the legalities have made and the, the, um, the proposed, the the proposed, um, amendments that they are looking to, to bring into this new, this new bill
2: passed on Friday
1: and, and
0: for people who don't know what made it, it passed fully.
2: Uh well there's a delay for the mental health piece but yes the amendment okay. Okay. for okay. for
0: uh for people who don't know what MAID is MAID stands for medical assistance in dying right. yeah so this is what i read okay and again i'm
1: a nincompoop so this is why we brought you on to clear things up for me okay so so in the overview what what uh what i had read was that under the existing law um individuals who seek medical assistance in dying must satisf- satisfy Uh, a series of eligibility criteria. So they got to check all these boxes. Mm -hmm. And some of those boxes include, they have to be 18 years or older. They have to be capable to make decisions with respect to their health and eligible for health services funded by the federal government. So we've got all that. But then it goes on to, finally, they must have a grievous and irremediable medical condition as defined in subsection 241.22. A person with a grievous and irremediable medical condition is someone who has a serious and incurable illness, disease, or disability, who is in an advanced state of irreversible decline in capability, who is experiencing enduring and intolerable suffering that cannot be relieved under conditions acceptable to them, and whose natural death has become reasonably foreseeable. So that was from the the Department of Justice website mm-hmm. but what has bill c seven how has bill c seven kind of come into this and and shaken that up from your point of view
2: so the in its um, most basic form, the conversation around med- uh, medical assistance and dying is people who are or at least this is where it started at the end of their life. Anyway, they're probably dying. Uh, And and, uh, it doesn't matter how many doctors they talk to. The reality is that, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you look at a case like end stage cancer, they're going to be dying. It's a matter of when. Uh, So this was in this legislation. I think the spirit of the legislation originally was how can we, uh, how how can we leave them laughing? How can we go out on top? Uh, So that way we don't have to suffer uh, through these last weeks and months when we know what the end is going to be anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, the conversation has since broadened uh, to in uh, conversations around including uh, what the government has called mature minors, so people who are under the age of uh, majority. Uh, but who are, for some reason, deemed to be mature enough to end their own life, uh, and people for whom mental illness is the sole condition. So somebody who has a uh, de- major depressive disorder, for example, uh, but doesn't meet the criteria uh, of, uh, uh, of a reasonably foreseeable death, mm-hmm. because depression, of course, isn't a reasonably foreseeable death. You won't die with that, with that condition uh, on its own. Um, so the, the scope, uh, has increased, I think greatly, uh, in fact, more so than ver- um, most other, uh, countries worldwide.
0: I think the interesting thing for, from our perspective too, and, and, you know, Jer, as, as you sort of highlighted in the beginning, we're idiots. We don't really, we don't really understand, uh, the intricacies of this stuff, but we do understand the stories that we've heard. Mm. And the first story that we heard about made was with our friend, Audrey Parker, mm-hmm. who, um, We spoke to a month before she died. She had uh, went through with medical assistance in dying. She was end stage cancer. Mm -hmm. She was going to die. And when we heard that story, it was so like uplifting and inspiring. And she was just she she was such a beautiful person. And her story was so beautiful that like immediately from my personal perspective, made was this like really important thing that we had to um, I, I wanted to advocate for to to grant people that opportunity to, to, as you said, Mark, go it on top. And, mm. and, um, but then we, we had, we started like the, some of this legislation came up. We started to do some more research into this. We had disability advocate, Heidi Jans on the show. Mm. She started to talk about the the shortfalls from the, the, uh, physical, disab- disability, physical yeah. dis- disability community. And so like all of these other aspects started to come up And mental illness, the reason why I'm so interested in talking about this today is that there's this other lens from the mental health side of things that um, is like we need to consider these. And and there's so many questions to ask about, you know, is this best for for these people? So I guess, Mark, like from your perspective, um, what what is missing in this legislation or what are some of the things that we need to be considering that may not. Like the reason why this was, you, you mentioned that on Friday it, it was passed with, uh, with the exception of the portion related to the mental health side of things. What is, what does that mean? Like what is still, um, to be discussed in that area?
2: Well, so the, the amendments were passed, but there was a, uh, I believe it's a two year grandfather period. Okay. I'm just going to hold for a second. Are you getting that noise on my end?
1: No, no, I don't no. hear nothing.
2: Okay.
3: Sorry.
1: Nope. Yeah
2: Um, yeah. So the the legislation that passed gives a two-year period, a sunset period, basically, and after which, if I understand it correctly, uh, people will be able to access medical assistance in dying solely for the reason of a mental illness. That's problematic for a few reasons. Um, One, it's based on a false premise that there is even such thing as incurable mental illness. There is no, and I'll repeat, no clinical evidence uh, mm. that this this is a thing, that this exists. Um, however, we all know people uh, who have lived perhaps their entire lives with the grievous suffering of a mental illness. Mm-hmm. This is not to say that that doesn't exist. Not only do people suffer with mental illnesses, the World Health Organization has likened major depressive disorder to quadriplegia in terms of how disabling it can be. It is grievous. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, pro- the that we are failing to, to help people effectively with mental mm. illnesses doesn't mean they're unhelpable. And this is where the breakdown in logic occurs. Yes, people are suffering. And then the government is saying, because you're suffering so grievously, we'll, we'll end your life. But they're not asking the question, well, why are you suffering? And in mm. fact, unsurprisingly, the government isn't asking the question, why, uh, how are we responsible? for the fact that you are suffering yeah. so grievously mm-hmm. because that's I, my argument the government mm-hmm. is responsible for this grievous suffering
3: i remember uh, i remember it was probably right around the time that made originally or initially was <clears throat> was passed this legislation i don't know what year that was 2015 16 2015 i think um and i remember i was driving up to the airport picked somebody up and i heard i was listening to cbc and they had they had a guy on um talking about mental health in particular and maids the inaccessibility of MAID in relation to people who suffer with uh, a mental illness and and their inability to access MAID. and and i listened to that and i was listening going wow this person has such a <coughs> such a point in how they're thinking about this but my immediate reaction was but also i'm seeing so i'm seeing the other side like I am, I I feel like I am, I am so naturally, um, like whatever you decide, like maybe libertarian in terms of like, if you want to classify it as a political ideology, like maybe I'm sort of like leaning in that direction. So I heard that and went, yeah, why not? Like, why not? And I think I felt the same thing when I heard the, when I heard the stories, um, coming out of Quebec in the, um, physical disabilities, Mm. um, Mm -hmm. which was, which was sort of the context around Heidi Jans. And, and when we sat down with Heidi, I mean, she really tuned me up and I think all of us, I think I can say to like, man, there are just so many it's very sides, just very yeah. nuanced. And, yeah. and that was in relation to what you just said there, Mark, that was the, that was the, that was the highlight that we took mm-hmm. away from Heidi's conversation as well was instead of, instead of, Pushing or expanding some of these aspects of made out to the uh, out um out further where where is the support? where is the effort to help to further support mm-hmm. and provide yeah. care for people that are that that are that are not able to access programs or the programs aren't sufficient enough in able to provide the care that would alleviate the the thought that their life needs to be over right
2: well and this is actually a really key point because um libertarianism like communism looks good on paper uh but when you get into the mess of real life it doesn't quite translate so is every choice that you make actually free no of course it's not uh the united nations uh said just before about a week before canada uh, passed this legislation that in fact, it would be a violation uh, of the the, um, Charter on Rights for People with Disabilities. Mm. Uh, Because what they referred to was the fact that people's choice architecture is fundamentally influenced when they're suffering by the systems that are making them Mm. suffer. So Mm. when people get to the point uh, to apply this directly to mental illness, uh, where they've been living, say, with major depressive disorder, suffering grievously for 20 years, and they want to end their lives... That 20 years of unnecessary suffering that they've been that has been inflicted upon them has, of course, shaped their choice for that. And had they not had that same level of suffering, Mm -hmm. had they had access to services that they're supposed to have access to under the Canada Health Act, then they wouldn't have likely gotten to that place where they felt like they... Needed to die. Mm-hmm. So this is where I encourage people to actually go deeper into the mental health conversation, where we need more sophistication in mental health awareness. That it's not just a matter of all illnesses are created equal, uh, that mental health is one big blob of the, of, of uh, concept, but rather. If you go a bit more deeply into it, you realize that the reasons that people are suffering are rarely because their brain is just broken or they have Mm. different genetics or they're somehow different than you and I. That harkens back not only to the asylum days, but in my opinion, to Canada's very dark history with eugenics. These people are just Mm. different than the rest of us. So therefore, we have the right to kill them off. Canada was a world leader in eugenics. Uh, I don't want to see that come back again, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Canadians do either by couching this in the, in the, um, straw man argument that, Oh, it's their rights. Well, right. But you're already violating their rights. The, the, the other
1: th- thing too, I think it like, it, it's so, it's so tough because like when you look at the physical side of things, like physical illness. So you, let, let's use me as an example, right? I have cystic fibrosis. I have, <clears throat> as someone who lives in Nova Scotia, I have systems in place where, I know that I can go out and like seek the help that I need to, to at least push myself further physically that I possibly can go until one day my lungs start to shut off. And even then when, when it's like end stage, there's still a couple options that I know will be there if I need it and I can rely on that. And if that all fails, if that all fails because we, because where we are currently in the, in the, you know, you know, in the world of research, when it comes to treating cystic fibrosis, like the options are there to have these treatments done to keep me alive as long as possible. If we've exhausted all options. Okay. But the crazy thing is that those options, let's sign you up for made so that you can end your life. And without again, being on top without suffering yet, when it comes to mental illness, how many fucking times on this podcast have we heard people come on the show like you know yourself, Mark, and say there's so much. There is so much work to be done in the world of even understanding how mental illness works, but how depression works, how like yeah. how how how. I mean, you, you name it, like schizophrenia, any 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 term under the umbrella of mental illness, we are so far behind compared to the world yeah. of physical ailments, and so well, to just lump it in here is like,
2: and like it does exactly seem why no. Know- no reasonable scientist will tell you that any mental illness is irremediable yeah. Um, yeah. because there is no conclusive evidence to show that.
0: The one thing that I want to add, though, is that the the crazy thing about all this, Jerry, is like your treatment is you don't pay anything for it. If yeah. you want to get right. if you want to seek exactly. help yeah. for mental illness and you and like, you know, mm. you hear people say all the time, go to therapy. <laughs> Therapy is fucking expensive, a man. Bucks a month. Probably, it's expensive. Yeah. Or a, a, a hundred
1: and ninety dollars a, session, right? yeah, yeah. a like, session. Like that's that's a, a lot of money. If you have
0: a really good friend with uh, complex PTSD and is and is fortunate enough to be in a financial situation to pay for for therapy, but even after years of therapy, going twice a week and and like having the access financially to be able to do that, still suffers deeply mm-hmm. from from that, and it's paired with you know the challenge of being on, on uh, benzodiazepines for an extended period of time and all of these other complex issues. But like the, I think the, the overlying issue is the fact that, that we just don't know enough to be yeah. able to effectively treat that. This, this yeah. might be a question that's a bit too And then the, the option nose, is to, but... to to go ahead with made for free. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. And well, so, is,
2: and I said in a, sir, in a um, uh, petition that I put up several years ago that was more controversial than I noticed than it is now. I think finally people are starting to realize this nuance of the mental health conversation that no, it's, it's a false equivalency to say end stage cancer and major depressive disorder because we used to bandy that around all the time. Depression is just like cancer, right? Mm. But we didn't mean that they were biologically equivalent. We were yeah, looking right. for, or equity, uh, not not collapsing the difference yeah. between things. But like that both I think horrible. people are starting to understand that. Yeah, they're yeah. both horrible. They're both disabling, absolutely. But like Jeremy said, uh, we have uh, such a long way to go, uh, yeah. particularly in the knowledge translation side. If you actually look at the scientific research around mental illness, the neurological research, we are ten years, fifteen years ahead of where actual policy and program delivery mm-hmm. is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, right. We know that psychotherapy works better than medication uh, for many, many people. <sighs> (sighs) in treating depression and anxiety. But psychotherapy is not publicly funded. That is a failure of the system, not of the patient. you got your podcasts,
3: and that's what you mean. That's what you mean in that regard. Like, in going back to like the expensiveness, uh, the, the the high expense of of, uh, of psychotherapy, psychology, psychiatry. Like, when when will that uh, when will that become covered under our socialized medicine? The same way that going to the emergency room for yeah. your broken collarbone you know, is, is covered.
0: Yeah. Well, there's also the part of the conversation where like, <laughs> you know, <I've>, I, I, <coughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to put this out there and I'm, I'm curious how you, what you guys think about this, but like, I also think that everybody needs to see a therapist. Like it's beneficial for everybody's mental health to see a therapist. So there's like, mm. there's like, how do we define, What is, you know, sort of like going to the gym of like going of mental health, like the therapy in that side, but then also the therapy that is like, is, is, is really important for the overall mental well being of somebody who is experiencing mental illness.
3: So I would say like, is that the, would that be the equivalent of the way that like, if I don't have a problem, I can't show up at the hospital and say, (laughs) do, do a full run up of blood work on me because I want to like just to, yeah. just to check, yeah. just to see like, what stands out? Is there anything there that I can work on that is like, you know, is my iron to like, you got to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, and, and so I, I don't know. I I mean, I'm kind of, I don't know. Do you guys, how do you guys feel? Do you guys think that those are slightly equivalent? Like if you're not, if you sure. don't feel like you've got an issue,
0: it's weird because it's somebody who has, who has been seeing a therapist who would say, Hey, you know, like I'm not going for any specific reason. Like, uh, however like seeing a, a significant benefit in my overall well-being from from going to a therapist it's like <laughs> it's hard to say because i feel like it's extremely important for everybody to do it but then also so is like exercise so So i
2: I agree with both of you and and look this is where the every single province in canada is actually in violation of the canada health act when it comes to mental health problems and illnesses Mm. uh, because psychotherapy is medically necessary for the people for whom it's medically necessary if you have a mental illness psychotherapy is almost always medically necessary then there's kind of a gray zone in between. And this is where I think uh, employee benefits are, are crucial. If you're doing it because for preventative reasons, we know that, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, as they say, mm. um, that mm. you can do this and should do this kind of psychotherapy just to stay ahead. Uh, of mental health problems and illnesses, and then I think I agree with you, Brian. That there's this um, other group where psychotherapy is actually wonderful professional and personal development. That even if there's nothing yeah. particularly bad going on, you can always take it to the next level. That's where I think um, private paying it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for people who need it, and for people in between who are preventing, there needs to be uh, more Absolutely. robust
3: assistance. And I and I mm. will and I will say that that I mean I'm always I am I am always sort of fascinated by the like budgeting and economic side of how healthcare is provided. And like, if you provide this, does that offset the cost of that? And, and I will say in the blood, in the blood work thing, I I have had this, I had this conversation with Kyla a few weeks ago. Like if everybody in Canada was getting blood work, you know, once a year and maybe, or maybe once every two years or once every year, once you reach a certain age, like kind of how you get, you know, how men get a, a colonoscopy every so often after they reach a certain age, like, would that would that offset, would that provide such would that give us such an insight into preventative care that we, that it would that it would offset the cost of yeah, like, like if just if, treating like something. If, and if I'm if everybody saying had whoop
0: yeah. straps and you could always Yeah, if yeah, so everybody yeah, had whoop yeah, yeah. straps, but yeah. like but like and
3: then on the and then on the mental health side of things, like if you're always in a if you're like I I've wondered like if they covered that as a blood as you know, getting blood work done for everybody after a certain age or whatever the frequency is like in the same equivalency of, of, you know, having, uh, you know, X amount of sessions available to you each year to see a, to see a therapist. And, you know, is that something that could mitigate some people's mental health you know declining at a certain at, at at a rapid rate because it goes unchecked and untreated yeah. for such mm-hmm. a long period of time
2: and and there's there's quite a, a good bit of data across the mental health um, uh, spectrum uh, to show that there's a positive return on investment mm-hmm. uh, in, in almost any kind of of intervention. Uh, one that immediately comes to mind was that when Bell Canada was implementing the national standard for psychological health and safety, uh, the very first standard of its kind in in the world actually. Uh, they found that their EAP or their employee and family assistance program usage went up. So people were calling for kind of more entry level or, or uh, getting ahead of their mental health problems and illnesses. And that costs the company money, of course. It's not free to provide EAP services. So those numbers went up. But as a result, they also saw that the length of time that people were uh, taking off for stress leave, for example, for short-term and long-term disability, that amount of time came down. Mm -hmm. The number of uh, disability leaves didn't come down. That's okay. People still needed to use that tool if they needed it. But the length of time that they had to stay off came down significantly. So that actually saved them quite a bit of money. And at the
3: end of the day, if a company is saving money, a company that, a company like any publicly traded company that just is like, all they want is to provide more value for the shareholder. I mean, mm -hmm. like. Is, I don't is, want to put in the pudding there.
1: Is it so? So, with that, I want to ask you, Mark do you do you think that it is this is basically like, does it boil down to something as simple as
2: saving money or? Well, look here. Yeah. On the saving money front, not to be uh, too cynical about it, but I, this government, uh, the liberal government specifically, uh, has been pushing this legislation extremely hard. And this is mind-boggling to me. I've always, not to get too political here, but I've always identified as a liberal. I'm a Maritimer. I'm a Cape mm-hmm. Bretonner. Everybody's a liberal in <laughs> <a> Maritimes, <laughs> it seems like. Uh, yeah. But it's an old, it's an old kind of liberalism. But anyway. Um, and I can't in good conscience support this government in the next election based solely on this decision that it, this is the most illiberal piece of legislation right. because it does not support people. So the cynical part here is that it's cheaper to kill people than it is to care for them. Right. That so, is horrifying to me.
1: So the, the thing the thing that I'm struggling with a lot here is everything that you are saying, everything that you're talking about, like this all, this all makes so much sense to me. Yeah. At, where... I mean, you you even said that that the UN has come out and said that this will this ha, this is now a direct violation against the the rights of persons with disabilities. Right. Who the fuck is on like not to sound not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but like who Who's the fuck is on this? the inside <laughs> making these decisions? Like, how are these decisions? Like, I guess, I guess, like, where is the where is the where is the professional consultation to right. come to come to get to this place where that 's the decision that 's being made
2: and so we and it, participated uh, a group of psychiatrists and counselors and myself uh, in some of these consultations, or at least we tried to. Uh, we issued a, a an extensive research backed uh, white paper on this issue to show that there's no consensus, for example, around irremediability and mental illness, and what we found at almost every Pro forma door that the government opened in this consultation process—that it really wasn't an open consultation at all. Right. In Quebec, in particular, actually, people weren't even acknowledged in the room. They wouldn't be allowed to come to the consultations. Uh, they would be—they would be treated very differently. There was clearly an agenda. I spoke to the Senate myself uh, about this issue. Uh, And there was very clearly an agenda going into the room that the government wanted this legislation to pass. And that was it. And and, you know, it made very strange bedfellows in some ways, because I wrote to every single NDP uh, member of Parliament, I implored them not to support this bill, because we are a socially liberal country, we need to Mm. support people. Uh, And sure enough, every single NDP member voted against it. Every single conservative member voted against it too, but likely for very different reasons. Um, And it turned out out that the liberals for whatever reason wanted this to pass and and i'm at a loss for why because the experts the expertise is is there and they stack their committees with people who agree with them does it seem like
1: there's does it seem like the general public is kind of like rah rah like this is a great idea because because It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like this is the the right way to go. So like, do other folks out there going, "Mm -hmm, you you guys nailed it with this one. And
3: is the government thinking that it is socially Mm, liberal because they're giving, they're giving people a, the, under the guise, autonomy. under the guise of like, hey, make your decision. You're, yeah. you're free to freedom yeah. your from decision. a from a and,
0: lack of education perspective. It, it could, you could, if you're uninformed about the issue, it could yeah. easily seem like, oh, well, this is equity for people with right. mental illness. That's right. what I, I thought at first. Was, glance. I think that was yeah.
2: driving it. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that's what they think. You know, why shouldn't people with mental illnesses have all, have all the same rights as everybody else? Well, Ooh. because they already don't. Uh, They're already facing so many barriers. So, you know, I would have hoped that the government would have heard this and realized this, even if it did start from that kind of superficial awareness level at first. uh, Why didn't they get the picture when so many people spoke out? But, you know, now I think it's the place where um, uh, the the legislation is here and it just it it it. reinforces our effort uh, to make the government fund uh, supports uh, even more so. This isn't going to make their job any easier. If they thought they were getting off with a cheaper solution by not investing in meaningful healthcare, well, this is only going to fire up advocates like me even more mm-hmm. to ensure that we hold their feet to the fire. So side. where
1: are we now with the legislation? Like, Because it it, 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 it correct me if I'm wrong, it, it passed through the House, but it has to go through the Senate now, or no? What's...
2: So the so it was a highly unusual circumstance wherein uh, the government um, uh, proposed legislation to the Senate. Of course, as the process works, uh, the Senate made amendments uh, to it in order to uh, reduce the waiting period from uh, two years to eighteen months. That part didn't pass, uh, if I believe, and it's still two years. Uh, and they wanted to make sure that it was applicable. The Senate did uh, to people with mental illnesses. Uh, so then that legislation went back to the House. Uh, Uh, Which was voted on on Friday uh, and passed uh, with the support of the liberals and the bloc.
3: On, I want to build on uh, Jair's last question there um, around like the support that you know is the public is the public behind it? Is the you know what is the what is the liberal government's um, kind of like just how how are they seeing it? Like what's their argument in in the mental health community? I'm are there are there are there people that are supportive and and if there are i'm assuming there there has to be at some, at some junction and if they are what what are they saying and what is that what does that side look like
2: Uh, The Canadian Mental Health Association came out against it. Uh, The Centre for Addiction and Mental Health came out against it. I mentioned earlier the UN came out against it. Uh, Most uh, physician groups have come out against it. Disability groups have come out against it. So the professional community in general uh, is against, but there are some groups. I believe that the official position of the Canadian Psychiatric Association was uh, in favour, though there were some politics involved uh, behind the scenes with that too, where similarly they weren't open to dissenting views. They had already made up their mind. Um, so, you know, I, I think that um, there's quite a lot of uh, uh, division internally about these kinds of issues, and you know, it, it concerns me where you have mental health uh, professionals in the Senate and in the in the House of um, uh, in the House of Commons uh, who have supported this legislation too. And that really, I think, comes back to politics. I have a lot of, uh, I have a number of, of uh, liberal MP friends who I was really um, shocked. That they supported this legislation, and it really shows that this is a government that whips whips the vote, uh, regardless of what people believe. Do you
1: think this is one of those things that? Because you know, like once once something like this happens, the chances of it being reversed are very slim. And and yeah. even if they, there is a chance of it happening, it's it's a, a long arduous process. Do you think this is one of those things that we are, I mean, I'm I'm assuming you do that we're going to look back on in a couple of years and go, Oh, that was a fucking bad choice.
2: Absolutely. And you, and you're right. I think there's no, there's kind of no going back now. Um, mm-hmm. But we've seen from other countries around the world where people have uh, gotten to, the, to this place and regretted it where they changed their mind. Uh, but then perhaps they lost capacity. And this is a whole other part of the conversation that, we probably don't have time to get into, but when somebody has dementia, for example, and mm, making an yeah. advanced directive, uh, who's to say that they couldn't change their mind afterward? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So we've seen this before. We've seen in other countries where um, the the scope has creeped, not just from severe and persistent disorders, but to things like ADHD and autism and uh, uh, anxiety Christ. disorders and eating disorders. You know, these are issues that we know how to treat. Um, but then now we're signing off and saying we, as the society, are willing to end people's lives uh, rather than rather than to support them. And mm. you know, it's uh, we we don't live in a completely libertarian, anything goes society. So why are we choosing people with mental illnesses to suddenly give all these fictitious rights to? If you, I mean hesitant to even call them rights because they're so so yeah. tainted. So you know, I, I think that we're definitely going to regret this. And what what pains me most. Is that the advocates that the potential advocates that we're going to lose because of it? The most powerful advocates are the ones who have been there, uh, who are suffering, uh, who have dealt with the system, and now we're not going to have their voice. and And I think that's uh, a grave loss to to Canada.
3: Mm-hmm. I think the thing that the thing that sticks out to me the most, or is sticking out to me the most right now in this conversation, is like how how much does how much will this legislation get in the way of, of being innovative with how we, we develop, uh, we develop programs for, um, in our healthcare system for, um, for helping people with <coughs> mental, uh, mental illnesses and, and like, you know, how, just like how much, a how much of a, how much of a roadblock will it play in terms of, uh, of sort of like dressing it up as a, as a, uh, solution. Or a, yeah. or a or a um or, or or like a you know a program that's accessible um where what I think is much more needed and get and this coming to this in very much the same way that Heidi um that Heidi sort of opened our eyes um in the physical disabilities community that we have we haven't even scratched the surface of 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 coming up to par with how we treat mental illness yet. Um, And how we fund it as a, as a, as a, as a country with social, with social uh, health care. So, um, you know, giving that, um, you know, for lack of a better term, like that, that exit, that exit, uh, exit strategy without first. You know, trying to trying at to least, solve at the least get, yeah. at least
0: yeah at least having well, scaffolding <clears throat> support. Yeah, a, in vote, place. a a yes vote for <clears throat> for this basically was like, oh, we're okay with marginalizing people with mental illnesses because mm, right. we're 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 not going to provide we're not going to provide free support for them. We're going to give them the opportunity to take their life. Mm-hmm. But I well, think well, what sucks is the that analogy. they think. Think, I've used the analogy in
2: the past that it's like a hostage taker, right? Who mm. uh, you, And that's very much what uh, many mental illnesses feel like, is that you've been taken hostage by your own mind. So it's like a, somebody taking you hostage and torturing you and not giving you any relief and then saying, oh, but we'll help you, I'll help you to die instead. That's not mercy. Yeah. It's not mm. mercy to torture and suffer and trap people and then to offer them the gift of death. Mm. Instead, let's help people. Let's actually mm. build a social safety net that prevents mental illness and that gives people the the evidence-based treatments that we know exist.
0: Yeah. Especially when we know that people are being prescribed like benzos for, you know, like clonopin or or clonazepam for for like years when that drug was meant to be like a uh, a a like a very short-term effective a pharmaceutical drug that you could take to like basically stop and prevent suicidal thoughts. Well, and, severe, and this is one of the but then this but is, then they prescribe it for like years and years and years yeah. that leads to these severe severe mental health outcomes.
2: And this was one of kind of one of the awkward things that I mentioned in my note to, or it's not awkward for me, but I'm sure it's awkward for uh, some people. Um, the the uh, lack of ethics uh, among professional communities and even in the research, wherein there is a study, for example. Uh, which promoted uh, a particular antidepressant as generally well tolerated, were the words, uh, among uh, children and youth, to be prescribed among children and youth. And then it turned out that that medication was causing those children and youth to increase their suicidality and to die more frequently by suicide. Those kids didn't know that they wanted to die because the medication was making them want to die. They thought they really wanted to die. And then it turned out that that study, which supported that conclusion that this medication was generally well-tolerated, was in fact written by a PR firm that the dissenting data had been suppressed, uh, that the entire study was fictitious. One of the authors signed on to that study is a current Canadian senator who voted in favor of made for mental illness. This is where the layers of of Uh, scandal, the layers of ethics are so questionable That how can we possibly in good conscience tell people that, yes, we're going to help you to die, but we're not going to help you in any way to live.
1: I feel like this is one of those one of those discussions uh, that we that we tend to have on the show every once in a while that is going to garner quite a bit of uh, discussion. Uh, and just a reminder for anyone at home listening, if you have questions or comments or something that you want to say that you would like us to see, uh, send us uh, a message letters at sickboypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Mark Hennick, uh, speaker, uh, advocate, author of So-Called Normal, a memoir of, of family, depression, and resilience.
3: Old friend.
1: Old, old ass friend. <laughs> Young fella, old friend. Uh, <laughs> <need something. laughs> uh, it, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Thanks so much for uh, for sitting down and, and kind of going through some of this with us. Um, it really does mean a lot. Mm-hmm.
2: Thanks for having me back, guys.
3: That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in.
0: If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with
1: your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy.